everybody. Good to see you. How many of our Guatemala team is here today? If you're here from, and you went on the Guatemala trip, why don't you go ahead and stand up for us? Let's welcome our team back home, okay? I was able to keep up with you guys on social media and saw the midwives being trained, the pastors being trained, the house being built, the students at the, at the local Christian school being loved on and taught. It was just a really thank you guys for making yourselves a tool in God's hand, traveling thousands of miles away and returning all within a week. And um, I got to crack up a little bit, though, because you left 80-degree balmy weather, and you came back to this, right? Indiana weather, otherwise known as God's cruel joke, right? <laughs> You never know if it's going to be 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts or snow when you don't expect it, right? I think there's a special crown in heaven for Christians who live in Indiana, right? We'll just agree to believe that this morning. Well, since you were in Guatemala last week, some of you, and because others of you weren't here, let me catch you up on the speed of where we're at. Last week, we started a brand-new series called The Gift, and the series is all about the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we're calling it The Gift is because Jesus called it The Gift, Because Jesus said that it's the best gift ever that we could get. And if anybody should know, it's Jesus. Because nobody lived under the influence of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, exhibited the power of the Spirit of God more than the person of Jesus. Amen? So that's why we're going to go to Jesus, and we're going to let him inform us. We're going to let him teach us. We're going to look at his life to see what it really looks like to be a spirit-filled follower of Christ. Now, there are a couple of facts that I believe that Jesus wants his followers to know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, These are things that I thought about addressing last week, but I just didn't really have time. And I'm kind of basing this series under the assumption that some of these things are already known, um, but I don't want to assume too much. So let me cover both of them really quick, okay? The first fact that I want you to know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is God. Is God. And the reason I've got to bring some clarity to that is because I think there's some confusion, there's misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. Some people kind of see the Holy Spirit as God-light or uh, mini-me God. That's how they kind of see the Holy Spirit, you know, that, that uh, God the Father is like Mr. Rourke and the Holy Spirit's like tattoos and hey, boss, you know. that. And if you're over 40, you get that. If you're not, you're like, who's Mr. Rourke and tattoo? Okay, so millennials, watch Fantasy Island. It'll change your life, Okay. So anyway, the Holy Spirit, just because he's the third member of the Trinity, by no means means that he's the third wheel of the Trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? And this is why Jesus could say, it is so good for you that I'm going to be going. Because in saying that, here's what Jesus knew, that his followers weren't going to get less of Jesus. They were actually going to get all of God is what they were going to get when the Holy Spirit came. So the Holy Spirit is God. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Paul writes here to the church at Corinth, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's the Son, the love of God, there's the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you see how they are all equally considered God? And I want you to hone in on that part there where it talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because here's what I want you to understand this morning. The Holy Spirit is, is not a wonderful power. The Holy Spirit is a powerful person. We use a power we know and we relate to 
a person. So that's the second point I want you to get, that not only is the Holy Spirit God, he is a person. And he does things that people do. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit speaks, and he guides, and he directs, and he instructs, and he convicts, and he comforts, and he has a will. And the Holy Spirit can be grieved, and and he can be quenched. So please understand that as we continue on this series, we're not talking about how to just tap into some power. We're talking about how to walk with, relate with, live under the submission of a powerful person. Because we can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You can't have fellowship with a power, a force, a fog. But the Holy Spirit we can relate to, we can walk with, we can, we can talk with. Now remember last week we talked about how Jesus was informing his disciples that the time of his departure was at hand. That he was getting ready to leave them. And this really grieved them and their hearts were filled with sadness because these are men who had left everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus says, I'm about to leave you guys. And they hadn't quite put together all the pieces of death, resurrection, great commission, world being changed by what Jesus was going to do. So when he says that he's leaving them, it's kind of like the end of their world. Their whole world has been Jesus. So what are they going to do now? So Jesus takes some time, and he comforts his followers with these words that we find in John 14. Here's what he says in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. How long? Say it with me. Forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Listen to this. For he lives with you and will be, say it with me, in you. Wow. And then Jesus repeats the same idea in John 14, 20. He says here, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am, say it with me again, in you. Do you know what we just read? What we just read is the most anticipated promise in all the Bible. And what we just read is the least celebrated promise in the church. It's always been God's desire to dwell intimately with his children. That's God's number one goal, his number one plan, to intimately dwell, to live in fellowship with his children. Let me tell you what God's plan is not. God's great goal is not salvation. You say, what? I thought that's what God was all about. Listen. Salvation is the means to the end of the greater goal of fellowship. God wants to intimately dwell with his children. And we read from the very beginning of Scripture, back in Genesis, that this was once the case, that before sin entered into the world, that God dwelled intimately with his children, Adam and Eve. And we read as well in the very last book of the Bible that God's promise and God's dream is going to be realized someday. 
that after sin, Satan, and death have been ultimately defeated, here's what we read lie on the horizon for the children of God. Listen to this, Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the goal. That's where it's all going to end. And guess what? It's already been written. All right? There's no doubt about whether this is going to happen. It's just a matter of time until this happens. So God is going to get what God set out to create when he created all of us. But here's the question that we need to ask this morning. Kind of the big elephant in the room. How does a holy God make his dwelling among unholy people. See, we find this tension all throughout the Old Testament because there's these metaphors that are used for God and what these metaphors communicate is that a holy God is not approachable by unholy people. You know what the key metaphor for God is in the Old Testament? It's the metaphor of fire, which makes sense because fire is oftentimes very unapproachable. You approach fire at its intensity, you will lose every time, right? So we find this metaphor of fire being used for God, that he's, he's in his holiness, righteousness, purity, in his separateness, he's just, he's just unapproachable. You can't get too close to that. The Israelites discovered this as they're camping at the bottom of Mount Sinai and they look up and there's this black smoke billowing from the mountain and there's the sound of trumpets and there's fire on the mountain and they're afraid. And they should be. We find that God led the children of Israel with a a pillar of fire by night. We read on a couple of different occasions that that the heavens opened up and the fire of God fell on the altar and it consumed the sacrifice that was left for him there. We read that when King Solomon dedicated this magnificent, beautiful, splendid temple, a one-of-a-kind place, there was never one like it, and he devotes it to God and says, God, would you please bless us with your presence? Here's what we read. We read that the fire of God fell from heaven and the glory of God filled that place and it was so intense, the glory of God, that they had to put up this curtain, this veil, because the glory of God was in the temple in this room called the Holy of Holies and people could not go in there. Let me show you a picture of what that looked like. This is the temple, a rendering of it. And that big curtain you see there, behind that curtain, that was 30 feet tall and 30 feet wide, and best estimates say about four inches thick, behind that curtain is where the glory and the presence of God dwelt. And only one time a year could one person enter in that room, and it was the high priest of the people. And the only reason he would go into that room is that he would make atonement for the sins of the people of the nation. Tradition says they would even tie a bell to the ankle of the priest and they would be listening for the bell to keep ringing and if the bell didn't didn't ring that would mean that the priest had died because he had not purified himself enough to go into the presence of holy God 
this is serious business. So, in the Old Testament, we have what we would call visitation from God, these different times where the Spirit of God showed up and it shows up in a magnificent kind of stand-back kind of way. We have visitation, but we don't necessarily have habitation where there's this constant presence and indwelling of God among his people. Until that is, Jesus comes along. And Jesus promises something altogether different to mankind. He says, did you catch what he said to his disciples? The Holy Spirit has been with you. But there's something even better coming. The Holy Spirit is now going to be where? In you. Let me ask you something. How had the Holy Spirit been with the apostles? How was that? Through the presence of Jesus, the most spirit-filled person who's ever walked planet Earth. So wherever Jesus was, there was the Spirit of God. So the apostles were able to see Jesus operating under the power of the Spirit, teaching under the power of the Spirit, healing under the power of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was with them all the time as long as Jesus was with them. And Jesus says, guess what, guys? You know why it's good that I'm leaving? Because just like I had this Spirit, that same Spirit that inhabited me is now going to inhabit you guys. And no religious leader had ever, ever dared to make a promise like that that the spirit of the God you worship is actually going to indwell the lives and the bodies of that God's worshipers. So how could Jesus make that kind of an audacious promise? Well, do you remember where Jesus is going to be the very next day after he made this promise to his followers? He's going to be carrying a wooden beam on the way to his own execution. And he's going to go to that cross, and he's going to die on that cross. And you know what Scripture says happened in the temple the day of Jesus' death? It was a sign from God. It wasn't coincidence. Make no mistake about it. That what happened in the temple that day, Scripture says, is that curtain 30 feet tall, 30 feet wide, four inches thick, that curtain was torn from the very top to the very bottom, opening and giving access to a holy God made possible only through the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus. Amen? That's what happened. The, the temple was t- torn apart, the curtain was torn apart, and God was inviting his dwelling, his presence among his people. So what Jesus is going to do, he's going to cleanse us. He's going to wash us. He's going to purify us so that you and I, listen to me, so that you and I can be these fit, suitable temples that will now house a holy God because a holy God can only dwell in a temple that is holy, just like Jesus was holy. And now that promise is for us. So can you even begin to wrap your mind around that that great truth this morning? That that's why Jesus says, it's better that I go away, guys. It's better that I go. Because when I go, just like I'm holy and I've been a vessel for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to cleanse you through my death, through my resurrection. You're going to be clean enough, pure enough, right enough, holy enough because of me. That now that same Holy Spirit is now going to dwell in you. He was with you. But now he will be 
in you. And here's the question. When will this happen? Well, last week we read from Acts chapter 1 how Jesus told his followers. This is right after his resurrection. He spent some time teaching with them, eating with them, and he gives them one final instruction. Remember what he said? Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait here, because I promise it's coming. The best is yet to come. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. Listen what it says here in Acts 2.1. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of, what's the word? Fire. There again, there's the imagery of God, the presence of God, burning, ignited. These tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't you think it's interesting how at Christmas, here's what, here's what the main theme of Christmas that we celebrate. At Christmas time, we celebrate that our God is Emmanuel, meaning God what? With us. On Good Friday and Easter that's coming up very soon, we're going to celebrate the fact that our God is for us. Look what all he's done for us. But you know what Pentecost indicates? Pentecost indicates this great truth that our God who was once with us and our God who acted on our behalf and is for us is now the God who is going to be what? In us. I wonder why we don't celebrate that as a church. Don't you think it's interesting as well that as Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16, and he's telling them about what's to come, that he never says, listen, you guys, it's for your good that I go away because you know where I'm going? I'm going to the cross. And on the cross, I'm going to die. And through my death, your sins are going to be purified. So it's good that I'm going away. He doesn't point back to the cross. He doesn't say, listen, guys, it's good that I go away because after they kill me and they put me in the grave, I'm going to rise victoriously after three days and I'm going to prove that death is no longer the great enemy that mankind has to fear. He doesn't even point to his resurrection. The emphasis that Jesus says of this is why it's good that I'm leaving, this is why it's good that I'm no longer going to be here, is because when I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come. So the gift that Jesus gives isn't a book, it's not an organization, it's not a new set of rules. The gift that Jesus Christ brings to his people is the indwelling presence of God Almighty himself. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says in Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, because guess what? We were holy, unholy, we were unclean, we were filthy. But because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing. Notice that image right there. We've been washed and cleansed, and it's like a rebirth, a renewal. We've been born again by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, can only come through the Son of God. Now, the day of Pentecost isn't over. 
It doesn't just end with the apostles having the, being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a purpose to this, all right? Listen to what happens here. Acts 2.14. Then Peter stood up with the 11. Okay, it's time to preach now. It's time to tell what God is doing. It's time to clarify things. It's time to share the good news. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. The crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people, meaning the other apostles who are now spirit-filled, are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Notice what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say, good news, everybody. Jesus is taking us all to heaven. Peter's good news is this. He says, good news, everybody. Jesus is sending heaven down to us. Amen? He's going to bring the Spirit of God to people. And he closed the sermon like this. He's been proclaiming. Hearts are being convicted. Ultimately, people ask the one great question that every man and woman should ask in their life. What shall we do? How do we respond? How do we get spirit-filled like this? How do we have intimate community with our Creator Here's what Peter says, Acts 2.38. Repent. Turn from your life of sin. Turn from your life of wrong thinking about Jesus. Believe who he said he was, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Repent of your behavior and your wrong thoughts about Jesus. Repent. Turn around and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So what happens when my sins are forgiven? What happens when I've been washed and cleansed through the blood of Jesus? There's something for you. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Do not miss this. Do not just glaze over this. Listen to what Peter says here, because Paul says something very, very critical to the church at Rome in Romans 8 9. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is why in the book of Acts, when we encounter somebody who says they believe in Jesus, but they don't have the Holy Spirit, it's a showstopper. And we have got to figure out what in the world is going on here. There's something missing from this equation. We have such an instance in Acts chapter 19. Listen to what Paul's experience was. Acts 19.1, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, 
No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And look right where Paul goes back to. Paul points right back to what Peter pointed back to in Acts chapter two. Paul says, then what baptism did you receive? He doesn't say what class did you take or what prayer did you pray or what book did you read? He says, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul's like, oh, okay, now pieces of the puzzle are starting to fit together. See, John's baptism was simply a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we read in the very next part that they got the Holy Spirit because now they've been cleansed and made a a holy, purified vessel that is now fit to be the temple of God. See, our baptism, when we go under those waters, it not only demonstrates a heart that's repentant, a heart that says no to sinful living, and a heart that says yes to Jesus, but it also connects us with the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, where he washes us and he purifies us from our sin. And this is why Paul could say to the Galatians in Galatians 3.27, listen to what he says to them. He says, for all of you Galatians who were baptized into Christ, you know what you've done? You have clothed yourselves in Christ. The righteousness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the purity of Jesus, the separateness of Jesus, everything that distinguished him head and shoulders above all the rest of us. Paul says, now... Through faith, when you're baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. And this is why, over and over and over again, it's almost like a broken record in the book of Acts. The one faith response to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ is baptism. It's not what class do I sign up for or what book do I need to read or what what religious hoops do I have to jump through. It's baptism. Period. See, we don't come to God based upon, well, this is what I think or this is what I feel or this is what my church tradition says or this is what a preacher one time told me. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. We come to God on the basis of what he's already revealed to us in his word. That's why our number one core value at Batcher Creek is the Bible is our final authority. This trumps everything. And it's been the same plan for the last 2,000 years. So, there's two groups of people here today that I need to talk to. Let me address the first group. That is those of you who are with us today in whom the Spirit of God does not live simply because you are a temple that is not fit to house the Spirit of God. And I'm going to implore you the same way Peter implored his crowd. Come to faith in Jesus. Believe about Jesus, what he said about himself. 
that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Turn away from a life of selfish, sinful living. Put your feet on a new path in repentance toward your creator who loves you and wants to give you abundant life. Repent and be baptized. Identify with the cleansing work of Jesus and that through his blood, you are now an acceptable, purified, holy temple ready to house a holy God. Now let me talk to the rest of you. Those of you who have the Holy Spirit, but quite frankly, there's no noticeable difference in your life from just the average decent guy or lady that lives down the street from you. And the question is why? Why isn't there a difference? One reason. You haven't opened the gift. It's like a gift card you get. It's a great gift. Does absolutely no good staying in your wallet. You got to use it. You got to redeem it. You got to do with it what it was intended to do. And let me tell you what, this is not a matter of. This is not a matter of me just trying harder and I'm going to work harder. I'm going to put my nose to the grind and I'm going to do it. I'm going to push through. It's not what it's a matter of. It's not a matter of feeling guilty and just crying and feeling down and, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. That's, that's not what it's a matter of. Here's what it's always a matter of. This is always, always, always what it's a matter of when it comes to God's spirit working in your life. It's a matter of one word. It's a matter of surrender. Surrender. That you've got to let God come in and you've got to say, Lord, clean house. So I'm going to tell you what, folks. The Holy Spirit is a blazing fire. And when Scripture says that you and I, that we can grieve it, that we can quench it, you know what it's saying? It's saying that we suppress that fire, that we're doing things to make it into just a flickering flame instead of this gigantic blaze. And do you know what can do that in our lives? Multiple things can do it. Sin can definitely quench the spirit. Life circumstances, just getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled, can definitely quench the spirit. Other people around us and their attitudes or behaviors or things can definitely quench the spirit in us. But there's got to come a time when you've got to say, Lord, for far too long, my body has been this temple, and a temple is a house. It houses God, and a house has rooms. And Lord, I've, I've kept the Holy Spirit in the guest room. And I've kept the key. I've got to let him go to that room of my house that has envy and greed. I've got to let him go there. I've got to let him go to that part of my house that has bitterness or worry and fear. 
I've got to give the Holy Spirit to the key that has sexual sin and lust. And I've got to say it's yours. Do with it as you need to. Because until we do, friends, until we just make ourselves a house where he's not just the guest in the guest room, but he has whole charge of the house. That's what lordship means, that he's in charge. Until we do that, we're just going to be this small, insignificant, flickering little temple of the Holy Spirit. Instead of this blazing glory of God which scripture says is a testimony to the rest of the world. This is why each week we take special time in our corporate time together. In a public way, we hold the elements of body and blood. And we eat and drink, as scripture says, in remembrance In remembrance of what? In remembrance of the heavy, heavy, heavy price that was paid so you and I could be made holy. In remembrance of what? In remembrance of that promise that it's good that I'm leaving you because when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and that's not going to be longer with you, but he will be in you. It's that promise that God who was with us and God who is for us is now the God who is in us. That when we hold loaf and we hold cup, here's what it communicates. The deep, deep price that God was willing to pay. The distance he was willing to travel so that he could live intimately with his children once again. That's what we remember. So here in just a moment, the elements of the Lord's Supper are going to be passed around. And again, this is for those of you in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells. For the rest of you, be our guest today. Thank you for being here, but just let the elements pass as they come by you. And then after we have our time of the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a time of invitation. For those of you in whom the Holy Spirit does not dwell, I would encourage you today, today, to come express faith in Jesus. Turn from your life of sin and your life of doubt and skepticism about Jesus and accept him for what he said he was. And connect with his cleansing power in the waters of baptism. Be washed. I'm going to tell you what, today is the day you can leave here changed. You came in sinner, you can leave saint. You came in dead, you can leave alive. You came in unholy, you can leave holy. You came in an enemy of God, you can leave a friend of God. And I say that not based upon my authority. I say it on the authority of the one who said, you kill me and I'll rise after three days. That's who gave you that promise. And that's the call that we implore you to today. For those of you who know Jesus, you've been washed, you've been filled with the Spirit. Maybe today's just a day. You grab a brother or sister in the pew next to you and say, would you please come with me? Come with me as I pray and I do some business with God today that's been way too long in coming. 
I need to let him clean house. And I've been the keeper of all the keys. Today I'm relinquishing them. So it looks different today, the response for where you are. Myself and others will be in the back porch if anybody wants to come today to prepare for you to express faith in Jesus and be baptized. For the rest of you, the floor is yours. Come as you feel led. Grab who you need to grab. And say, God, I no longer want to be just a flickering flame. I want to be that holy blaze. I want to look like Jesus. This is the time to do that. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you did not abandon us as your children in this world. And again, our minds have such a hard time wrapping around the idea that the same Holy Spirit that lived and walked with and talked with and empowered and led Jesus is the same Spirit, the exact same. Not a generic brand, not an off-brand. It's the same Spirit that Jesus promised would indwell us. And Lord, maybe the reason why we have a hard time believing that is because we have the Holy Spirit, but our lives look very, very powerless because we just haven't surrendered. And we know that that's what characterized Jesus. He daily surrendered himself to the will of the Father through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about him, it was about others. It wasn't about his will, it was about your will. It wasn't about where he wanted to go. It was where the Spirit led him to go. So, Lord, help us to be true enough to ourselves today to clean house, to deal with what we need to deal with so that we can affect this world as Jesus did. Thank you for your presence. We give you the glory now. In the name of our Spirit-filled Savior, Jesus. Amen.